Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Good morning, caffeinators. Welcome to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, where you are expected to take your breaks and punch out on time. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody, all of our caffeinators, for uh, continuing to support our podcast here at the Vet Tech Cafe and repping our merchandise and all that good stuff and continuing to download our episodes. Uh, please follow and subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast episodes so that you you never miss an episode when they release. If it's your first time here, if you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, welcome. Uh, feel free to go over to vettechcafe.com for all of our info, kind of who Dave and I are and, and what we're doing here. Like and subscribe to us on all of our social media channels, uh, but we really appreciate you all being here. Dave, how's it going out there? What's uh, what's on your mind? Oh, it's good, going good out here. It's uh, getting into the North Carolina summer, so we're it's you know high eighties, getting into nineties with that extremely oppressive humidity that, that <laughs> that's mentioned down here. I actually have we have a load of hay coming that's going to be you know, right at the peak of the heat. So that's going to be fun for yeah. me today. Uh, how things going out there? Uh, things are good. Daphne was uh, four weeks old yesterday. So we've, nice. we've managed to keep a little baby alive for four weeks so far. <laughs> um, she's she's doing great. She's, uh, I, I would say, making it fairly easy on us as things go. You better uh, knock on wood or something. I know, I know what I do every day. But she's doing really well so far. Um, and uh, it, it's... I, for for the both of us, I, I can't tell you how much probably easier it is or better it is that we're both on leave right yeah, now yeah. Um, for for several weeks. I think that helps tremendously. Just being able to get extra sleep and having to take that out of the equation. So that's that's definitely good. So um, otherwise, though, I did want to mention. Uh, you know, we're back to kind of our regularly scheduled programming, if you will. You know, looking in the rearview mirror at at our mental health awareness. Uh, month, but um, I know we had a tap room episode talking about kind of a recap of that. But thank you again to our guests Amber and Cat and Hesu for uh, for talking to us about everything that they did and, and kind of laying bare their stories and you know opening up and and being so forthcoming with everything. That was a really really great series. Um, and then of course June being Pride Month, another really yeah. important month for for so many of our colleagues. So big big stuff happening this summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Busy busy yeah. time. Busy time for sure. So um, we have another great episode planned for today. I'm, I'm yeah, super I'm stoked. I'm super stoked for this one. Um, you know we've we've had a kind of a good mix of episodes recently of of a lot of people we haven't met yet or or 
don't know too well, but this is one that uh, that I do know uh, our guest. I'm, I'm really excited to to reconnect with her. Um, we have Allie Butler coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. I worked with her at Tufts, but she started her career in veterinary medicine in 2013, became a credentialed veterinary technician in 2015, and began working at the small animal ICU at the Louisiana State University School of Veterinary Medicine in 2015. And then in 2017, relocated to Massachusetts and began working at the Cumming School for Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University. Uh, and that's where I met her and worked with her for about three years before I relocated back to California. Um, she worked in the ER and ICU there and was the biomedical equipment coordinator and file that nugget away because that'll be really important <laughs> for what we're talking about today. Um, and then in 2021, uh, she graduated with, with distinction from Worcester Polytechnic Institute with a BS in biomedical engineering. And earlier this year, I believe, became the very first veterinary technician hired by Myla International with the title of Director of Clinical Education and Engineer. Allie, did I get all that right? I think so. I think you got all those those deets in. <laughs> awesome. 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 Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out to come by the Vet Tech Cafe today. We're super stoked to talk to you. Uh, what can we get you for a cup of coffee? You know, Jeff, I like to keep it simple. I just like a plain cup of coffee with some, you know, cream and a, maybe a packet of Splenda. You know, if I'm feeling Perfect. real bougie, I'll put some, you know, pumpkin spice or something in there. <laughs> Which, you know, li little did, I think not, not everybody knows you can actually use that stuff year round, which I do. So, yes, yes, I, I, I do. I do. I do for do sure. Do they sell uh, it year round yeah. or, or do you have to stockpile no, you, it? No, they it's do? like on the spice aisle. You can just get it and put it in your coffee. Oh, just you get it in the I was thinking like the, the flavored oh, creamers no, 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 that no. I only see in the fall. You, you know, I got to ask from when you were in New England, were you a Dunks person or a Cumbies person or just make your own? Um, mostly make my own. Okay. I, but okay. I definitely prefer Cumbies over Dunkin'. I went to Dunkin' once and mm. asked for a cup of coffee and they already put the cream and sugar in it. And from that point on, I was like totally turned off to Dunkin'. Oh. <laughs> and I get, mm, I first, get it. First impression. It was a New England thing. <laughs> I just moved there and I just like did didn't know. And, but you know, after that I was like, all right, I'm just sticking to the gas station from now on. But I, I was always, I was always a Duncan's Duncan well, guy. It's a big thing. I mean, that, it's a huge thing. It is, yeah. oh, there, there was one, one day where, um, I think it was donut day or free, free coffee day or something like that. And like my 10 minute drive to work, I passed by like six Dunkin' Donuts on the way. So it, it's like Starbucks everywhere else. Yeah. They're, they're just on every single yeah, corner. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and and if you if you're not a New Englander or haven't been to New England, you <laughs> maybe don't understand. But if you're ever visiting up there, just take stock of how many Dunkin' Donuts you yeah. see. Yeah, <laughs> they it's are kind of crazy. It's kind of yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, I know I mentioned a couple things uh, in your bio there, but kind of take us through your career path. You know what got you started in vet med, um, some of your interests along the way, what you've done, and then what you're doing now, because that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So when I first went to college. Um, I graduated from a small liberal arts college in my hometown called Millsaps, um, and that's in Jackson, Mississippi. And I initially had, you know, the aspirations of going to vet school and all that sort of thing. But unfortunately, uh, when I was in college, the economy was in a tank and I had to declare a major in 2008. Um, and it was like, you're not going to be able to get any kind of job, especially with a liberal arts degree. And if you want to go to vet school, you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life. And there probably aren't jobs, blah, blah, blah. And it was pretty, you know, dream crushing, as it were. 
Uh, but someone was like, well, you can probably get any kind of job if you speak Spanish. So I kind of like was like, instead of doing anything practical, like, you know, continuing on and maybe revisiting the idea of vet school later, uh, I decided to do Latin American studies. And that was really not a great idea because when I graduated, it was basically a fluff degree that, you know, wasn't really worth much. So my dad had this great <laughs> idea after I graduated to take an aptitude test. And it's this really intense aptitude test at the Johnson O'Connor Institute. Um, there's a few of them around the country. I went to the one in Atlanta, and it's a full day of like full spectrum aptitudes from dexterity to music and tonal acuity to language and math. It's across the board. And, you know, surprise, surprise, at the end of it, I, it was a slam dunk for everything technical, engineering, sort of spatial acuity uh, skills. And they were like, we have no idea why you majored in anything with history or romantic languages, because your brain does not do that. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, maybe I should <laughs> switch gears here. Uh, so again, there weren't any jobs. So um, I decided to sign up for AmeriCorps. And I promise this will bring back to vet med in a minute. But uh, <laughs> so for a couple of years, I worked for AmeriCorps, which is sort of like the equivalent of like a domestic Peace Corps where you volunteer and do community service and taking these aptitudes that they told me I was good at, I decided to do uh, construction. And my first year I spent in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, working for Habitat for Humanity. I was a, uh, like a carpentry assistant and I did, you know, building houses and, you know, refinishing the siding on a lot of, I actually taught the LSU uh, dance team how to frame a house so that was pretty interesting. Wow. But, you know, but this whole time I was like, it was really satisfying to be working with my hands and doing something good and being productive. And I actually, I think that was when I really kind of learned that I love tools in general and learning skills and fixing things and knowing and learning how to do things well and correctly. And uh, the second year I moved to New Orleans where I continued doing AmeriCorps. Uh, it was with a different nonprofit called the St. Bernard Project. And it was rebuilding houses. And, you know, this whole time I was trying to like figure out what this was, what this all meant. Like I was, it was satisfying to do something that I was told my brain was good at and it turned out they were right, but there wasn't a whole lot of connection between like what I was passionate about. And so a good friend of mine that I was working with, I was talking about like, I need to go to graduate school. I need to be, you know, a preservation architect. I need to do all these things. And it was really like, I was just trying to make things fit and it wasn't really true. And I think he could tell that. And he was like, you know, you don't have to go to graduate school to get a job to like figure out your career. Like, what is it that you really love? And I think I did some soul searching that year and kind of went back to what, you know, my first aspirations were and really sort of what made the most sense to me. And that was animals. And it was always animals. Even when I was like studying abroad a bunch in college, I was always the kid that had like dog treats in my bag to hand up to stray animals. Like it was always something that was part of me. And so that summer, it was all sort of kismet because I, I decided that I, I needed to go back to, I, I wanted to go back to school because I knew I would have to in order to pursue anything scientific or vet related. And so I found the vet tech program at Delgado Community College in New Orleans. And it was required that you have like, like I don't know, like 30 days or something in working in a vet clinic um, in order to to like qualify to be in the program. And so I found um, a friend of mine's wife actually owned the cat hospital in Metairie. And I got a job there first as a receptionist and sort of kennel tech. And that summer, my two first soulmates showed up on my back doorstep, uh, Poppy Seed and Betsy Ross. 
uh, who were about the size of like potatoes at the time. And they literally just showed up. I heard some squealing on the back door. And I don't know, all of this was like, I am like cosmically ordained to be a cat lady. And whatever that means, I'm going to like go through with this, even though it's kind of weird, like I already have a college degree, I'm going to go to community college. But when you're in your 20s, and you're living in New Orleans, like no one really like you can do whatever and and people there's no rules yeah there's no rules there's like you know if you're doing something good if you have a job that's fine you know it's you know i had a lot of sort of guilt about going to school already and then going back and you know whatever but it every but again like i i kind of got into that program and i you know started taking those classes and everything was like so what I wanted to learn and everything that I, I really wanted to be doing. Um, and the cool thing about that program is that the last semester you actually spent at LSU at the vet school, um, rotating through all the departments with the, the fourth years in their clinical rotations. I mean, it was, it was interesting because I was living in New Orleans and, and LSU is in Baton Rouge. And so me and three other girls and three dogs spent three nights a week at the La Quinta for like eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a whole adventure in itself. But what I loved about that whole experience was, you like when we were uh, rotating through the ICU, we really got that hands-on experience of being a technician, and I got to see all of those skills, all of those um, intense nursing requirements. That really was what I wanted to do. I never, I knew that I always wanted to do the most, the most sort of intense work I could. At least, well, I should say the most challenging work because I wanted to keep learning and I wanted to get the most experience that I could as soon as I could. Um, and so right after I graduated, they were hiring. And so I, I applied and I, and I got the job, which was pretty, pretty awesome, pretty stellar. And that was probably when, uh, yeah, that was when I really first got exposed to Myla products. And it was just, you know, in those two years, I learned so many skills and like just the, the intense requirement of, you know, constantly being on your feet and running back and forth and trying to figure out how to prioritize what you're doing with, you know, 20 patients. And it was tough. It was really tough, but it was, I think that's where I really fell in love with intensive care as well. And then I was there for a couple of years and I was still sort of feeling like I needed to move into like a, a more career, like something in, I guess maybe, you know, coming from the education that I had, I always felt like I needed to go to graduate school, which, you know, I re I've, I now realize is not necessary, but I had the idea that I needed to go to graduate school in order to really be a professional. Um, and so I was looking at the Tufts Vet School at the, uh, they have a master's program in conservation medicine, which again, sort of fulfilled those like sort of altruistic aspirations of like saving the planet and going and, you know, rehabbing rhinos or whatever it was. Uh, but they didn't require a science degree. And so I, you know, I kind of researched into it. I thought I would be able to, if I worked at Tufts at their vet school, then I could, you know, maybe work there and go to school. And so it was all kind of kismet because my, my godparents actually lived nearby. And so I went up and visited. I applied for a job at the Tufts vet school and I got in and we moved there in June of 2017. And that's where I met the amazing Jeff Bacchus and the rest is history. And I obviously very quickly just like totally forgot the idea about graduate school. Because <laughs> Jeff is a whole nother planet. I mean, I mean, Jeff, you know, it's, it's like, I, I was, I was quickly like in the middle of a hurricane. Like I was, you like jump in and every, there's so much going on. Yeah. And I was like, God, I'm not going to be able to make it. And I really like got kind of whipped into shape pretty early. I mean, it was tough, but. 
I feel like I, I deserve like a little badge because I like survived Tufts for mm-hmm. at least a year. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like I, I feel like for sure everybody that works there and survives. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, a month. I mean, and it was crazy like moving from Louisiana to Massachusetts. I mean, it took three days to get there. And, you know, surviving my first winter was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I mean, even though Tufts <laughs> is basically in the boonies, it is one of the most, it is the busiest ER for like yeah. one of them in the state, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by caseload, they are the busiest academic yeah. ER in North yeah. America. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. It's crazy. Yikes. Wow. And so Ali, before we get into what you're doing now, let's, let's talk about the profession itself. Um, you know, you've been through kind of different avenues mm-hmm. in this profession and now you're in, I guess, is that technically the industry side? Is that what we call it now? The industry yeah. side yeah. working for Myla. So where do you see the profession right now? Like, are there things we still need to work on? Are there things that are going great? Uh, give us kind of your your overview of of, of how you see our profession. So I think the vet tech profession, at least in the United States, is really. I think we all kind of feel this sea change that's been happening since the pandemic, and that we recognize how important teamwork is, and that that veterinary technicians and assistants are so important and vital to the team, and creating that that real unit is what is important to make a functional hospital clinic, whatever it is. But the, the, the huge like education gap between the DVM or VMD and the vet tech is really kind of a difficult thing to, to cross. I suppose. I think there's, we're limited in the amount of education that we can get. Um, I mean, certainly you can get a bachelor's and be a veterinary technologist, but I don't know how practical that is how how much people really see that difference and respect it. Um, I think there's a lot to say about the respect that education brings. And that's always kind of been something that's at the forefront of my mind, obviously, since I've like been trying to figure out this and I'm now my third degree in. <laughs> but I think our profession is really moving forward. And I think that what is really going to help cross that bridge is the VTS. And having VTSs, is that it's going to be the springboard for vet techs to reach that status of an RN or, or even a PA. And I think we need to really explore the idea of advanced degrees for veterinary nurses. And I, you know, I don't really know that much about how they do it in the UK or Australia, but even the fact that they're, they're referred to as veterinary nurses is a, is something that's, I think, that could change how we see ourselves in the profession. I certainly feel that there is a a limited scope for what veterinary technicians can do. Yes, you can get your VTS or yes, you could become like a supervisor, but when it comes to patient care and the ability to do more within the clinic, I think we're going to have to really figure out the education piece of it and really advance our our vet tech programs. I I think one of the things that is going to move that idea forward is and this is going to be a hard thing to do, is that there are so many vet assistants that have mm-hmm. no education that are on the job trained, Yeah, me being one of them, but now a VTS. But the fact that they can hire people off the street to do the same thing that technicians mm-hmm. can do, you know, until you require people to be licensed or registered or certified, that's going to be a hard thing to, to, to get past. But I, again, I don't know how we do that. I don't, yeah. And right. it's, that's beyond, that's beyond yeah, my pay and grade. It's, I, and it's, <laughs> It's the, we we borrow so much from human medicine, 
but but the way that human medicine is structured and the way the professionals are, are trained and hired and the the sort of bureaucracy that is in in human hospitals is not translatable in our in our field at least mm-hmm. not yet but it it didn't you know yet, it certainly yeah. started somewhere else and that pr- actually you know that probably has to do with like how military you know nursing became a thing and then those people became more tra- you know better trained and that sort of was the advantage in the human side and i think in the veterinary world the vts is going to be that bridge that's going to say these people are not only obviously dedicated and and trained in a academic environment perhaps but they can teach other people and and continue the education and continue the spread yeah. through throughout the throughout the community i think um continue education is also a huge avenue for for people to really create what is going to be needed in order for education on the whole for all veterinary technicians to to be more structured um, and that we can take those we can take those topics and those things that are really important and vital to our our day-to-day practices and then go from there to create sort of curricula of of what needs to be included to be those that sort of RN status. Mm, yeah. Gotcha. So, um, you know, in your, I, I didn't mention it in your bio, but you had sent over that you were a two time MacGyver winner <laughs> at LSU first in, two, in 2016 and uh-huh. 2017. First, I want to ask, what is that? What does that signify? And then I have, uh, I, I think what'll tie into that a funny yeah. story to tell. So the MacGyver award was something that LSU did during Fet tech week every year. There was a bunch of like sort of who's who kind of awards, like the person that's, you know, is always going to make you smile. The person who, you know, is going to get that IV in the critical moment. And the MacGyver award was for someone who uh, was able to like jerry rig things, you know, that, you know, if you didn't have that piece of equipment, you know, get, get somebody who can put a syringe barrel and a rubber band together and make it, make it work. And I, I guess I became known for that. And I actually am really proud of that. That is legitimately on my resume, even if it isn't a real award, (laughs) but I, yeah, I, I did love sort of figuring out how to bridge, to find those solutions where that didn't exist because there's so many things in veterinary medicine that just like, you know, that are just missing. They're just like not there yeah, somehow. Yeah, and, yeah. We, and it's up to veterinary technicians most of the time to create solutions like that. Up until recently, like every anesthetic machine that I came across there had to be some type mm-hmm. of adapter, some type of mm-hmm. jerry rigging to get that get that thing put together, and and also have it be airtight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't want to. Red rubber is a bad word in my language <laughs> because it's used. <laughs> it's like a good word. It's a it's a blessing and a curse because it's like it's great for practically anything, but it's also like we need to mm-hmm. chill out with our red rubber use. Like we need to like. <laughs> kind of move away from that for now. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, being called the the MacGyver Award, that, that was, <laughs> it probably still is, my favorite all-time TV yeah. show. So I kind of had an idea of what that was going to be. And so for, for those of you that don't know, um, when Allie and I worked together at Tufts, we had an ultrasound machine that uh, I looked at it one day. It's actually older than I am. It was built in 1976, and it had to weigh 100 pounds at least, if not more. Oh, I was thinking like Yeah, that. yeah. Okay. So even, yeah. So well, well into the hundreds of pounds. So our ER and our ICU were separated just by a swinging door, but you couldn't bring it from one room to the other because it was so old. It took 10 or 15 minutes to shut down and restart. <laughs> it was this, this monstrosity of a piece mm-hmm. of equipment and it finally died 
one day the monitor on yeah, it. Yeah, it had died. one of those. And we all thought, CRT hooray. Tubes. Yeah, like a big, like mm-hmm. CRT, like one of those giant old <laughs> television type of monitors on it. And we all thought, hooray, it's dead. We can finally like get a new ultrasound machine. People were like, we need to take this outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like literal, literal fire coming from this, from this ultrasound machine. And I come into work one day, and in the ER, Allie has it apart. Wires coming out of it oh, everywhere. The monitor top is is now off of it. And throughout the course of the day, and I think even one or two other days, all of a sudden a flat screen <laughs> computer monitor is now attached to it and working. And the dang thing is working again and went on to function for, I think it was still working when mm-hmm. I left. I think it was still in use, sadly, I know. <laughs> because it's paid for itself Oh, yeah. Dozens of times over and should have been easily replaced. I mean, but... I can't imagine how much that thing, where where it came from in the first place. Who knows? Like that probably came from some human hospital. Somebody was throwing it out and somebody saw it on the side of the road and picked it up. But that Bertha, her probably. name was Bertha because she was so big. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm going to continue to call her. She probably had a VHS recording system on it somehow. I know it definitely had floppy disk. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, it had the three and a half inch floppy was, disk. Yep. She was she was not easy to get around, but yeah, one day no. it's, she started to smoke and they were like, all right, she's going to be officially decommissioned. They actually like took her, co- the cord out. And so like, no one could even try and fix it. And I was like, well, that's lame. It's just the CP. It's just the monitor. Like, of course that, of course the, the monitor is going to break because everything in vet med is full of fur. Like if anyone has ever tried to like take apart mm-hmm. your keyboard, mm-hmm. there's guaranteed like an inch of dust and, and skin cells probably. Um, which is part of the job. That was a major part of my job as the equipment coordinator at Tufts. But anyways, so back to Bertha, I did a little bit of um, what I'll call internal borrowing. And there was these old uh, Dell monitors and they were square. Like, I don't know. I've never seen a square monitor anywhere else, but I took one from one of the like computer bays that no one used and I hooked it up and it like miraculously worked. And it was like legitimately one of the proudest moments of my life. (laughs) I don't know. I know you yes. hated Bertha, yes. but the idea that I brought her back to life <laughs> and then she became known as yes. Bertha, I felt like this, it was, I was meant to do this for the rest of my life somehow. Yeah, for sh- there you go, there you go. <laughs> it, you know what? And I was I was thinking about this the other day in preparation for this episode, and I was thinking, you know, as veterinary technicians, when when a piece of equipment breaks, like in a mm-hmm. hospital setting, not at Tufts, but in an actual hospital setting, we're always like clamoring for new equipment mm-hmm. to update things or, or what have you. And I'm sure there's going to be some veterinary student that watched you do that. And in many years from now, one of their technicians is going to ask, hey, can we get a new ECG machine? <laughs> and they're going to say, when I was in vet school, this technician <laughs> took apart our ultrasound unit and hooked up a computer monitor to it. So no, oh, we don't need a right. new ECG machine. I, I know you can do you're something right. to you're it. Right. Yeah, and, and, I know you're probably and, really proud of it, but there, there's yeah, probably a lot of people there that there, are like, there oh, are some unintended consequences for true. somebody down the road. The, I, the only thing I can say in my defense is that an ultrasound, like for up until that point, we had struggled so hard to get an ultrasound that would live. Like oh we tried gosh. the tablet no version, kidding. we tried like you know different like uh, what they called like heavy duty but they weren't they weren't at all because you're gonna drop it you're gonna poke a needle into it it's all and now we have like military grade ones at tufts like i don't uh and they've survived but until before that there was it, it was hard to get a, a good ultrasound and you yeah know, we would get one and pay 
hundreds of like, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars for it. And it would last maybe yeah. a month. Yeah. And so that was all, yeah. that was a major part of that struggle. But you're right. If, yeah. if it comes down to sure. a piece of equipment, like an ECG, those sorts of things do need to be updated and are, and are much easier to come by than, than an ultrasound. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes, for sure. So do, do you think that was like the, the beginning of your realizing that engineering was going to be in your future or, or has that, was that like the culmination of, of something that had been brewing well, kind all of, along? Yeah. I mean, there was, I've, I, one of my biggest points of pride is being able to find a solution for someone. Like if there's a doctor who needs something specific for a patient, you know, uh, like I've, I've built many helmets for those tiny chihuahuas that, you know, clearly, or, you know, someone's having a, you know, the ones that have seizures and are going to bang their head around the, the metal cage. Like I, that's the sort of solutions I like to make. I like to, to find those sort of bespoke engineering as it were. But the, I guess really the moment I put the two together was, it must've been my first year at Tufts, a group of students from Worcester Polytechnic Institute, WPI, where I later went, was working on a project with Liz Liz Rosansky to create, it was some sort of device. It was like a vest to count how many times a Yorkie would cough during the day. And it was so cool to me that, you know, one, that there were students working on a veterinary engineering project, but also that there was already this sort of relationship in place with this school and Tufts and, and to, to do what is veterinary biomedical engineering. Uh, So I did a little research into WPI and their whole curriculum is project-based. It's, you know, very much based on teamwork and, and sort of problem solving. And that just was so in my wheelhouse. And so, yeah, at the age of 28, I decided to apply and I got in. And so I, you know, entered WPI, at, I guess it was the fall of 2018. And it was weird. It was like, you know, my classmates were a full decade, my junior. And, and it, there were a lot of weird things about it. And I was going to school full time and I was going, I mean, I was working full time, which was no joke, but it was also kind of badass at the same time. Like I felt like I was, I love being in school. I loved the idea of trying of, of like perhaps following this dream of veterinary engineering. And I spent the next three years really trying to take every opportunity to use those projects, those assignments to, to really gear toward veterinary solutions and and I did that. My major project, which was the same kind of the it's called an MQP, which is major qualifying project. It's sort of your senior thesis was what the cough counter was for that group of students. And the one I did was to create a um, special type of peat valve for horses, which turned out really well. And I, I won some awards for it. And then I actually one of the projects which I now have a patent for is a better um, nasal cannula for dogs. So look for that in the future, because that's one of my big that's one of my I wow. mean, I hate using the, the, like the term pet project is so like, you, I just call them pets now. Like they're just like my pets. They're, I don't, I don't know how, like, that's going to just be my, my word for all of these projects because I am so, you know, it was, it was a really hard transition from being a nurse to being an engineer because I really missed that sense of, of, of finding, of being needed and, and caring. But now I feel like I have the opportunity to have a larger scope and find solutions that will help more animals instead of just that one chihuahua with the helmet, <laughs> if that makes sense, you know? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're about halfway through and, and we haven't even we've barely gotten started. So, so why don't we take a little quick break here? Uh, we'll pay some bills and we'll be back after the break. 
The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where you need to check your imposter syndrome at the door. Uh, so, Ali, we just had our ad for BetterHelp, uh, BetterHelp.com, and one of the things we like to ask all of our guests is, how do you manage your mental health? How do you, like, get away from veterinary medicine? And mm -hmm. I think it's so important to really have that work-life balance, which is these days really difficult, but... Personally, I love working with my hands, which I think a lot of vet techs are, and I love spending time working on crafts, or I recently just purchased a old dresser from Facebook Marketplace, and I'm redoing that, and that's, <laughs> that's hard and satisfying, but it's, you know, working with my hands to create something that's silly or just pretty, and, and kind of taking my mind to just reload and, and be quiet and, you know, listen to an audiobook and be by myself. I love doing that. I love driving around just to, to, you know, see what's around and not really have to think about anything. I think having alone time is really important when you're constantly bombarded with uh, syringe alarms and, you know, people calling in to ask about, you know, <laughs> how my dog ate like seven pounds of chocolate. Is that okay? Like, no, I, you know, and just like turning your phone off and being alone is priceless. And I think we don't do that enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure. For sure. So it sounds like your position at Myla. So let's, let's talk about what you're doing now in your career, uh, working for Myla International. That sounds probably like a new position as, as at least you're the, their first veterinary technician. So your role, what does that look like? What are your responsibilities and what, are, what do you hope to, to do with that? So I was given the very generous opportunity to really build my own position here. Um, I had uh, awesome. I had approached Myla initially to produce my nasal catheter, uh, the Nozos, and I, and, you know, Jeff Atula, who's our president, was like, well, you seem really into Myla. You seem like you really are passionate about veterinary engineering. Do you want to just come work for us? And I was like, well, duh. <laughs> uh, so, um, <laughs> so I basically, that was November of last year. So I... I accepted, I, you know, I had to take some time to figure out how to transition from Tufts because I was also, I'd just been given the title of the equipment coordinator there. And so I really wanted to tie up those loose ends before I came. And in that time, I was kind of trying to figure out what I would do when I first got here. And the, one of um, Myla's sort of newer ventures is the CE platform, the free CE that we do about once a month. And so 
Um, a big part of my job is to sort of line up our, our new topics and potential speakers for the next year. Um, and I'm really looking forward to covering some topics that I think we don't um, we don't talk about enough to sort of create those gold standard procedures, specifically blood transfusions. I don't think there's a huge well-known you know, standard protocol for monitoring. I think, you know, every hospital has their, their own form. They have, you know, some um, of the blood banks have produced their own monitoring forms, but I think kind of understanding not just how to monitor, but like what could happen, um, but also why we use filters and what filter to use when. And, you know, did you know that a Humanate filter is only good for 20 mils of packed reds? Like, I don't, we get that phone call all the time because it's just not written anywhere. And so I honestly thought it was 50. Well, it, it's 50 for whole blood or plasma. Uh, okay. All right. But it's, you know, it's a human product. So I have contacted Utah Medical who produces them. And I've tried to like, see if there's any documentation for veterinary use. You know, at some point I've heard that you can't use it on dog blood because the cells are too big. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense because it's a human product. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just sort of, really sort of disseminating those, those, that type of inter- information, which sort of leads into my, my other big venture, which is to create standard um, instructions for use for most all of our products, but really starting with our major ones, like our central venous catheters, feeding tubes, the uh, fecal management system, which is a pretty, pretty fun one. But I think the, the really uh, what I found to be really satisfying in my day-to-day work is when people call in and don't know uh, what to order or like have a, a very specific procedure that they're trying to, you know, not jerry-rig, but they don't know exactly what, you know, what kind of catheter or drain to use. Um, I had a guy call last month who was working with the show goats, which I didn't know was a thing. They're like $50,000 goats. And a really common thing is we all know with goats is that they get blocked and he needed a special cystostomy tube. And I was like, yeah. And then we got it talking and I was like, well, what if we could figure out a better urinary catheter for goats that could really kind of navigate that sigmoid flexure and like, let's, let's get this project going. And so that's the sort of things that have been really um, exciting for me to when people call in, just have these problems and I'm here to help solve that. And, and then of course, being a biomedical engineer, the other half, so I'm the director of clinical education and then engineering. And I've been working on a, a bunch of different projects. I mean, there's so many things that are, that we're sort of juggling that are really exciting to learn, but it's, it's a huge bear of projects that um, I didn't really realize that you have to figure out where to get the materials. And a lot of time that's China, but we want to try and steer away from China because that market's now unstable and learning how to get certain things extruded. And then you have to transport those things to another place to get them assembled and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a lot of learning right now, but it's, but that's, what's also exciting about it because I'm able to figure out how to create a, a medical, a veterinary device from really from idea to, to marketplace. Mm, that's amazing. And I think that also, also um, ties into just improving our current products. Um, like our Tomcat catheter is really popular, but I know a lot of people, you know, trying to get people to switch to the Tomcat catheter from a red rubber is a big challenge. I have two main goals. One of is just to make everything more efficient you know, putting everything you need in a kit to have everything there right at your fingertips and cost effective as well, but also adding that element of compassion because we often forget just how uncomfortable all of these things are. You know, like a Tomcat catheter is is great because it solves the problem, but it's not 
it's so it's like it's almost it doesn't barbaric isn't the right word but it's not perfect i'll say and it's it's amazing that you know you say you take take something from idea to to actually a product and you know so many of us as technicians and as macgyvers in the in the icu and er wards you know we have these ideas and you know, we look at these things and say, oh, we, we really need to do this and make mm-hmm. this happen. But then then you end up either work it, MacGyver- work it in the way. And you, can't, yeah. <laughs> and you just you like, well, I, I don't have time to do that right now. And, and it's amazing that you have this position that you can now actually take that idea and having the experience of being in the ER and in the ICU and, and, and making that actually come to fruition. I, th- I think it's amazing that I don't know how long it took Mila or, or any company to realize that, hey, we need a technician <laughs> here that has been yeah. through this that can that can actually give us ideas of, of what mm-hmm. we can do to, to make these yeah. products. I think that's amazing that, that you're able to do that. Um, and I know you mentioned you mentioned the the cough chest or the cough jacket, the 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 nasal prongs, a couple of other things. Do you have any pet projects right now that you're working on mm-hmm. and developing? So my, the one I'm most passionate about is the one that I started at WPI, which is the nasal cannula. Um, and I call mm-hmm. it the nosos. And it's, you know, I think what people are most commonly or most accustomed to is the red rubber cannula where you either put it into the, just into the nasal cavity or all the way to the nasopharynx. And I think there's some data to say that that's effective, but in my mind, it can't really be because one, it's not designed to do that. There's only two holes at the end of the nasal or the, the red rubber Um, So if one becomes blocked, then the other one carrying all of the oxygen to the site uh, there's some data to say like at certain flow rates, there's uh, jet lesions. You can't really use them as effectively with high flow oxygen. There's all sorts of things that, you know, we really, we are in the 21st century, we should have a proper way to deliver oxygen to veterinary patients. The, you know, the oxygen cage is convenient, but it's, I am not a fan of oxygen cages. And that's not just because I had to clean them out as equipment coordinator, <laughs> um, but they are, they're not built to be, to, to be uh, maintained very well. And also there's huge limitations. Like you can't flush, you can't, you can't provide positive pressure to flush out all that uh, CO2 and you can't, you know, once you open it, then you have to, you know, the oxygen's all gone. Like it's, it's the least invasive, but it's not, it's also pretty wasteful. Well, and also for the most part, you can't get anything bigger than like 20, exactly. or 30 pounds. In exactly. That. And so the nosos is really developed for those larger dogs that would be getting those nasal cannulas. I really, part of that is because there's no step up from an oxygen cage or high flow to ventilator. Like we should be able to have some sort of positive pressure ventilation or, you know, just airway management that would keep those patients off the ventilator. Because we know not only is it so expensive and time consuming to put a pet on the ventilator, it it has so many risks associated with it. And I think that if we're able to give our patients something as vital as oxygen, like we should have figured this out a long time ago, those, you know, it may require a little bit more, you know, it might be a little more expensive than a red rubber on the front end, but it could lead to a much shorter hospital stay, much better treatment efficacy in the whole, and then, you know, better prognosis. And it's just more reliable and it's more comfortable. And you just have the security that, you know, the feeling that it's, you're, you're giving your patient what it needs in the right way. Um, And that's, to me is why I hate red rubbers is because we use them for everything. We do. Yeah. But they're not meant to be, they're not meant to be permanent in any kind of fashion. And, you know, thankfully because of COVID they became pretty scarce. And now they're selling these like really cheap versions of red rubber, which I can't even imagine 
how that could even happen. And now people are complaining about those. And so it's like, we need to wean ourselves off of the red rubber. We need to really start saying that veterinary medicine deserves a gold standard. And while veterinary medicine is always inextricably tied to that that piece of money and keeping things as inexpensive as possible, it's going to require that. It's going to have to require sort of restructuring our cost, uh, how we how we price things and what's really necessary in order to to get the job done. And it's just it's just a a, a big problem that's going to require outsourcing some smart people that aren't in veterinary medicine to solve those kinds of problems. But I am here to say that like that efficiency should be at the at the mind on the, you know, at the top of the list because right now we're not doing anything very efficiently. You know, it ends up affecting how we we can treat our patients. Yeah. You you mentioned earlier, you know, the gap, if you will, between DVM education and veterinary technician education. And I think this is another gap in that in most cases, especially like in, in, you know, private small animal hospitals, it's the DVMs that are doing the purchasing Mm -hmm. of the equipment, but it's the technicians that use it. And it's the technicians that see the shortcomings in a particular product, or, you know, it would be so cool for this particular patient. If somebody came up with this specific thing, this could help so many, Mm -hmm. but again, it's that, that idea never gets from technician to somebody that can do something with it really, unless it's the DVM that has right. that idea. It's like they're the only ones with the the clout or the wherewithal or the connections mm-hmm. or whatever it might be to actually will that into being. And it's it, that I think that's like my favorite part of this is, I mean, obviously this is what we do on this podcast is try to shine a light on vet, the, all the cool things veterinary technicians are doing in their careers outside of a clinical setting. And this is it, like taking those ideas and actually manifesting them into usable parts and pieces. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I think I want to create a network of veterinary technicians and people who have these, who can see the problems and also see the solutions, because that's the only way things are going to change is if we start talking about it and we make these things happen. And Mila is the kind of company to do that. We have the ability to, to really bring those those solutions to fruition, which is what I'm doing now with this oxygen cannula and NA. And that's just the beginning. You know, like there's so many other projects that I can't talk about <laughs> that are pretty exciting and are going to be real game changers. Nice. Excited to hear about those down the road. <laughs> is other other technicians like I know I know you're the first technician in that role, but are there other technicians in the company or are you, are you it? pretty much it. There is. I think there's a vet tech that works in one of our clean rooms to do assembly. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how what sort of I think she worked in general practice for a little while. And then we have a customer service agent who did work as a receptionist at a vet clinic. So they're not to, there's not a total lack of veterinary personnel here. Here, but I'm the first to be uh, to understand the critical care aspect of why these why what we make are so important and and also where the shortcomings are. So I think the next you know year or so we're going to be prepared to see some changes. And I you know I hope that this podcast will reach people who are like me and have ideas and want them to you know really be actual solutions because Myla is the gold standard, but that doesn't mean that's the end. We can be better. We can certainly improve and create new solutions that don't exist because we borrow so much from human medicine, but we treat way more species and way more sizes 
and way more complications than than in human medicine. Yeah, so for I think sure. it's I think it's I think it's going to be a, an exciting time and I really I really want to create a network of folks like me. I, I feel like you need to have like uh, technicians in like your clinical trials where you're testing yeah. out these products because they're the ones that are going to actually mm-hmm. be doing those things yeah. and saying, well, this doesn't work, so we need to do something different instead of right. Like it's you know a DVM. Who'll it just may say, be yeah. the DVM that places it places that NG tube or places that urinary catheter, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the nurse that has to keep up with it and see where. Where, yeah. when it's mm-hmm. going to break and, tr- and troubleshoot it exactly yeah absolutely um you know looking at the the mila website there's a like a submission tab mm-hmm. um where you can I'm, I'm assuming submit an idea for a product or something to be developed so if if that let's say one of our colleagues a veterinary technician working in a hospital somewhere submits an idea via that portal what what happens to that or or what like what does that process so it's not, look like? It's not all that sophisticated, honestly. It's just an email. It's just okay. an email um, to our to our <laughs> president currently. Um, but I'm hoping to change that. I am happy to give y'all my email address and my phone number. I would love to start talking to people about you know what they like and don't like and what they think should change. And it's ally.butler at mylaint.com, and uh, or even product support at mylaint.com. And we are a pretty small company. If you call our number, you can just talk to me. We have one phone number and, it goes, <laughs> and just ask for Allie and they'll they'll bring it over to me, which happens, you know, whenever we get, you know, like I was saying about the guy with the goat, it's just like our customer service team is like, well, uh, we don't know. Let's, let's give it to Allie. She'll probably figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah, I you can definitely submit through the website. Uh, but if you want to reach me directly, I'm. So open to that. So excited for that. Awesome. And I, I have to ask, is there, in your short time there, do you have a favorite Myla product? Oh, good question. Oh. Whether it be for technicians or DBMs yeah, or that's what a good. That's a really great question. We recently started carrying new NG tubes, which I think most people are familiar with those red ones or the yellow ones that have sort of the funny shape mm-hmm. on the end. And the new ones, which are purple, don't have that, and they have extra large holes on the end, so it's much they're much less likely to get clogged, and they're much easier to place. And they have spe- they some of them have special adapters that are called N-fit, and they only fit certain syringes, so you can't accidentally confuse the NG tube oh, yeah. with something something you know like the jugular catheter or something like that. And the way that I always remember it is that purple for PO. And I think that, you know, those are the sorts of things I'm thinking of, like trying to make these things more um, user friendly because, you know, with the way it currently is, you know, people often put like extension sets on them and they, things can get confused. And there's always that horror story of someone getting something IV that, you know, was really only PO and that that, right. that stuff happens, but it can totally be avoidable if it you just does. make them user friendly and, and something that's color coordinated. Exactly, yeah. or... <laughs> so like part of one thing I'm one of the projects I'm initiating are labels. I love labels. And I think it's really important that we label all our extensions for what the drugs are and what port they go into. And so that's one thing that I'm going to, I'm going to try and implement, you know, I think just, just being smarter about the way we use our equipment is going to be a big, big part of it. Mm-hmm. I have, a, I have another question about the the, the submission mm-hmm. tab and, and submitting an idea for a pro- project or a product. You know, s- say I were to submit uh, an idea for something, do I retain any of that? Like the rights, sort of the the, the rights, yeah. Like like how does that? So work? that's a it's a kind of a complicated question when it comes down to patents and sort of the royalties of that. Yeah, thing. yeah. That's, that's more down the line. But at Mila, when we create um, new products or even just um, a different 
uh, like adaptation of a current problem, a per current product, if it came down to putting your name on it, um, then that would that would require sort of the legal side of things that I am not actually yeah, not yeah. totally up to date on. <laughs> but there are several of our products that are attributed specifically to the doctors who helped create them. Um, Dr. Shores at MSU helped create um, a cerebral uh, biopsy needle, um, and he does some CE events for us and some other things that are just that may not have their name on it, definitely have uh, doctors that are associated with them. But I don't know. I, I th That's a great question and it deserves a, for looking further into, but I think it's, I think it's like yeah. stuff that I'm not really, it's not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Legal and... <laughs> that's not, that's nope, not on your exactly. pay grade. Yep. <laughs> I often, I'll often come up with something. I'm like, this is going to be my million, million dollar idea. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is how I'm going to retire. Yeah. And then you know, work gets in the way and yeah, life gets in the way. I I'm will like, say the the process of getting a patent is annoying. It's really annoying. And it takes a lot of time mm -hmm. and having a patent. Like one great thing about WPI was that they have a project sort of commercialization office that helps you file the patent. And so I had what's called a provisional patent, which sort of held my place in line for a year. So it was protected. And then in that time, I I sort of perfected the design so that when I submitted the patent application, which takes at least three years to, you know, go through the system, then I can, by the time it's it's really published and, and filed completely, uh, I'll have the full details and I, I know it can be protected. But yeah, it's not, it should be easier than that, but it's not, unfortunately. <laughs> so is there anything else that you want our colleagues to hear about the subject? We've We've just made mm -hmm. it to our hour, so we're trying to not take up too much of your time, but is there anything else that you want us to yeah, hear about I this? I would love people to contact me. I am so excited about making connections and making this network of technicians who have ideas and want to further the, the solutions that we need to be, to get to that gold standard in veterinary medicine. Cause I think it's really going to be up to our, the technicians and those people who have their hands uh, and feet off the ground and to, to, make things better for our patients because that's my main motivation is at the end of the day, our patients may suffer because we don't have the right equipment or because we do things improperly the first time um, and then have to do it again or, you know, multiple times in order to, you know, to keep it, to keep it in. And so I just want people to feel like they have someone to come to if they have an idea or they have a problem that the solution does exist and that we, if it doesn't exist, we can make it happen. And also in that regard, I think we need, to, I would really love to um, hear if people have topics that they're really excited about and want to um, perhaps do a free CE event with us. We do a webinar about once a month um, and we've gotten Amy Newfield and Dr. Shores and Tammy Lynn from Purdue. We've gotten some really great speakers for our CE and some really great attendants from all across the world. So if anybody's interested in being a speaker, we would love, definitely um, want to hear from you. That's great. Yeah, I, I've I've actually I get the the notifications hmm. on LinkedIn, and I went to the one uh, last month that was on any yeah. NG tubes, which I found really really entertaining. I, I was yeah, that I was good a lot one. from that. So. Is there a topic you would like to see us cover on our podcast or somebody that you would like to see us interview in a future episode? Person? David Attenborough? Can you get David Attenborough? <laughs> <That'd be great. laughs> I don't know. If, if, if he'll respond to our okay. email, we'll certainly try. Um, <laughs> yeah, just just send us an email. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get in touch with I him. I would love to yeah. hear um, sort of the, the things that we don't talk about 
that are in our job. During Vet Tech Week, we talk about how we have so many job titles for phlebotomist and radiology technician and, you know, grief counselor. And we're all these, we're all these things. But what, what we don't have titles for are those like MacGyvering moments. Like, I would love to hear how people are, are solving those problems. Or like, even if y'all had an episode where people could call in for like their really challenging cases or they had that two pound kitten and they had to put the jugular vein, you know, put jugular cath in. And then, you know, they had to figure out how to do a teeny tiny chest tube or what those sorts of things I think are exciting. Um, and they don't get highlighted enough. I think personally that IVEX should have like a, uh, like a comp, not a competition, but some sort of like coolest case award that, that yeah. would really sort of highlight the things that we are doing and um, that don't get uh, as much publicity as they should <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah i like it I like if we it can lot. figure out how to do a live call-in show we yes. would do it i yes. also think yes, that for at sure. we should have a field day event where we do tech skills and see how people like you know who can put the ng into ng tube fast enough or who can put in things one-handed that's always been really really cool to me but i don't know mm-hmm. yes, technician yes. olympics yeah yes yeah yeah Lateral endotracheal yes, intubation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, putting together an e-collar or a, a cardboard coffin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, can do that yes. That's, that's a great one. <laughs> Allie, thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks so much for the time. I, I know we, we want to really thank uh, Myla for, for stepping up and sponsoring yeah. the episode. So thank you very much to them. And I also wanted to mention before... Dave takes us home with uh, with your would you rather question. Um, you're going to be at ACBIM mm-hmm. end of June, so end of next month, June 23rd through 25th in Austin, Texas. Um, caffeinators, if you guys are going to be there, for sure go by the Mila booth. Thank them for uh, for helping us with this episode. Say hi yeah. to Allie and give her some awesome ideas yes. to work on. That yeah. is so great. <laughs> I would love to see y'all there. All right, Allie. So your would you rather question. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Would you rather work in the ER on a full moon or the Monday of a holiday weekend. Ooh, I'm going to go with a full moon because I did a project in school on uh, tracking how busy <laughs> ERs, the ER was over like the summer. And I just, and I picked out the ERs, the ER nights during full moons and they were not as busy as they were not like extra. Mm. You know, there are all those weird cases though. I didn't look into that, but that makes things interesting. The holiday weekend is always like, yeah, I don't know. It's too many. It's too many stupid things, you know. Monday holidays, I, I, in my mind, are the worst. They're there the needs worst to be like to an work. apomorphine yeah. clinic, yeah. you know, the just just apomorphine, like not even urgent <laughs> yeah. care, just apo, because yeah. that's that's I think most of the holiday things that we get corn cobs, yeah, are for sure, huge this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. you know, with with the with the Monday holiday. You're busy because you're the mm-hmm. overflow because everybody yeah. else is closed. So so your volume is just higher. But on a full moon night. None of the other clinics are closed, so mm-hmm. theoretically your volume right. shouldn't be too much higher. But your cases might be a little more yeah. bizarre. I find that the, I found that the case, cases in the in the owners are a little crazier that's, on the full moon nights. That's for true. sure. The Mondays is just it's just yeah. straight volume. Well, and, yeah. and also it depends on where yeah. you are because Tufts. The, can I say this? I don't know if I can say this, but Tufts was built on a old psychiatric hospital ground where mm-hmm. they like. <laughs> they still have like the tunnels that go underground and there's, yeah. there's definitely some spooky stuff going on. So it, it might depend on where you are, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I still maintain, I swear I saw oh, a yeah. ghost there one night walking to my car in, in one of the old buildings. Yeah, weird so, like shadows yeah. in the, in like the, the like mm-hmm. so there are a few vacant buildings there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a very, very 
creepy mm-hmm. campus at night when you're they're, walking they're to your car, some of the, sure. They're tearing down some of the really <laughs> creepy buildings now, but so that's, that, oh. might, that might help or hurt. Good. I don't know. Good. Maybe that'll make it worse. You know, yeah, I, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to release them now. <laughs> yeah, they, they got to go somewhere. <laughs> now they're just going to be wandering yes. about Grafton. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Allie, thank you so much for, yeah, uh, for your time and, and taking some time out to chat with us about this. Like, again, I think this is so cool. If Jeff Bacchus thinks I'm cool, End of end of story. <laughs> like I'm done. No, just you know, taking these ideas that we have all had time and time and time and time again through our career, but just have had no avenue or no know how to make that happen, and now you're doing that. That's that's your job now. That's that's your job. That's so cool. And also, though, now we have a place to go. Like mm-hmm. we have a contact at at Myla and Caffeinators. Um, we'll put your email yeah, address no, if you don't I, mind, Allie, in the show notes. And if you have an idea, if you have a solution, if you have something that you think could be better, fire it off to Allie, and uh, sounds like she can make it happen. So super awesome! Thanks again. Thank you so much, both of you. It's been such a pleasure. Who is that? Who just meowed? Oh, uh, that's that's uh, that's Julius. She's. <laughs> um, She's, we, we are the vet tech cat cafe sometimes. Uh, oh yeah. Here, here she is again. She's back. Oh my God. Yeah. She's, she's, she's obsessed with me. So that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, caffeinators, thanks again for uh, stopping by the vet tech cafe. We hope you guys are well, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. You bet. Bye guys. Since 1991, Mila International has prided itself in the areas of innovation, education, and customer service. Myla is a household name in emergency and critical care and is the gold standard of instrumentation in veterinary medicine. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.